Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Good morning, church. Hey, if we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name's Luke. I get to serve as one of the ministers here. And we're just kind of dreaming together as a church to start 2024 thinking, like, what if this was the year that we spent with Jesus? Like, what if this was the year that we just devoted ourselves to being with him in prayer? What might God want to do in us and through us this year? So a couple ways in the life of our church as we're walking through the Lord's Prayer together and talking about how to become a praying people that we have um, for you to engage in that. Um, Most of you know that we have a prayer team that gathers around the edges of the room toward the end of each service, uh, kind of when the lights are dim, you know, they've got their glowing lanyards on, and they are there to receive you, like if you want to give your life to Jesus, that's who you go find, but big thing or small thing, they're also there just for all of us to be able to take a next step, because man, if you've got something going on in your life, and over the next year, you will, anytime you have a, have a need or just want somebody to talk to or pray with, that's what that team is there for, and we would love to beef up that team and do more and, and devote more energy into the prayer team this year, so if you have any interest and being a part of that team. Stay tuned because kind of toward the conclusion of that series, we'll have an opportunity for you to jump on board. But even if you're here thinking, nah, like the standing around the room and like receiving people and talking to people thing, that ain't me. But I do love to pray, and I've been feeling a nudge from the Holy Spirit to devote myself more to prayer. Then we have an opportunity for you to be involved in that way too, and just to devote yourself to prayer, to pray for what God is doing for our church and in the lives of the people that he's entrusted us to care for. So stay tuned over the next few weeks, and we're gonna be launching some new stuff to come out with that. Also wanna let you know, we have a worship night here this evening um, from 6 to 7.30 in this room, and where we're gonna sing together, we're gonna worship, we're gonna hear scripture, we're gonna pray, we're gonna see some art, and it's gonna be a good time just to celebrate what God has done and to anticipate what God wants to do in our lives as we become fully alive in him. So I hope to see you there this evening. Um, hundreds of years ago, Robert the Bruce, who is the king of Scotland, you know, I won't do the whole accent, but I figured I could try that word. Um, Robert the Bruce set out for the Holy Land to fight in the Crusades. Um, unfortunately, it was not to be. He died along the way before he ever made it to the Holy Land. But right before he died, Robert the Bruce called one of his dearest friends to his side, Sir James Douglas. And right before he died, Bruce said to him, he said, when I'm dead, remove my heart and take it with you to the Holy Land. And so he did. Like following Robert's death, Sir James Douglas had Robert's heart embalmed and placed in a little container that he wore around his neck as he took command of the troops and continued leading them on this crusade as he was fulfilling his king's request and honoring his dying desire. And so at one point, Sir James Douglas, he's leading these guys on their journey. They're in the heat of battle. They're surrounded. There's no way out. It seems that all hope is gone. Defeat is near and death is imminent. But in that moment, Sir James Douglas grabbed that container and yanked it off of the chain that held it around its neck. This container that contained the embalmed heart of Robert the Bruce. And he took that container and he threw it right into the midst of the enemy troops in front of them. And at the top of his lungs, Sir James Douglas cried out to his men and he said, follow, fight for the heart of your king. It's this great like Scottish war cry, right? And they, and they did. And that's a little bit of what we're doing right now. We're kicking off the year asking Jesus to teach us to pray. We're walking through the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus' command to us today is to follow, to fight for the heart of your king. Will you read these words out loud with me? When Jesus is teaching us to pray, this is what he said. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. 
This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Today we're just going to be zooming right in and focusing on that one little phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, what he's saying is fight for the heart of your king. Let's break this phrase apart. If Jesus says this is how we should pray, your kingdom come, what does that mean? What is God's kingdom? Well, God's kingdom is where what God says Goes. It's where God's desires are followed, and God's kingdom is here now. Last week, or last year, excuse me, you'll remember that we spent a lot of time in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus says that the good news, the gospel according to Jesus, is Mark 1.15, that the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The good news according to Jesus is that the kingdom is here now. That means that today... If you have repented of your sins, if you've believed in Jesus, sworn allegiance to him as your king, if you've surrendered to him in baptism, then you are right now a citizen of God's kingdom. Paul says it like this in Colossians 1.13. He says, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The kingdom of God is now but the problem is, of course, that the kingdoms of earth are now too. Because, like, look around, right? Anger, violence, betrayal, children malnourished, babies miscarried, women assaulted, murder in the name of religion, the pollution of creation, marriage vows broken, racial division persisting, everything's politicized, cynicism and anxiety everywhere you look. Like, the kingdoms of earth are alive and well. So that means that the kingdom of God is now, but the kingdom of God is also not yet. Because we are gathered here today in hope that there's a future day coming, a day when you and I together are going to stand before Jesus, and on that day, the kingdoms of earth and the kingdom of God that are right now all mixed together will be separated. Jesus talks about that day in Matthew chapter 25. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He says he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. This is what we long for, the day when those of us who have loved him, on that day we'll see him face to face. And we will dwell in the new heavens and the new earth. And the old order of things will pass away. And he will make all things new. And all the questions will melt away in the light of his love. And on that day, we will hear the cry of heaven from Revelation chapter 11 that says, Now the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah. And he will reign forever and ever. That's the day we're living toward. And on that day, the whole universe will be the place where what God says goes. Now, thankfully... In the meantime, between now and then, Jesus has a plan to bring up there, down here. And the plan is for us to pray 
your kingdom come. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does it mean to pray your will be done? When we pray your will be done, we are laying aside the sins of self. You know those. We're laying aside our self-righteousness and our self-pity and our self-sufficiency and our self-indulgence and our self-promotion, and we are instead orienting ourselves to chase after the king. We're saying, God, you're the king. God, your desires are way more important than mine. Your will be done. In fact, to do the will of God, Scripture says, is a primary sign that you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. If you're one of God's people, you will do his will. And later on in the next chapter, Jesus says this about doing the will of God. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. One of Jesus' followers, his disciple named John, he would have been there that day hearing this. John wrote a letter later on where he echoed that same teaching. In First John chapter 2, he says, the world and its desires, they pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Jesus himself is saying that if you are part of my kingdom, you will do my will over and above your own. And Jesus himself lived that out. Um, over and over, if you read through the Gospels, Jesus tells us what his primary motivation is. And the primary reason that Jesus did what he did is not actually because he loves you. He does love you more than you can imagine, and that is one reason, but the primary reason Jesus did what he did for us was to do the will of God for the glory of God. That's why he did what he did. John chapter four, verse 34, Jesus says this. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's kind of an amazing statement. Jesus says, my food is to do the will of God, like my food that thing that drives him, that thing that sustains him, that thing that gives him energy, that thing that he craves, that thing that he can't go a single day without is to do the will of God. Man, could you say that? Is that your food? <laughs> One author says it like this. He says, God's will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Can you say that? Does the will of God define your life? Or are you anything like me that a lot of days we organize our day around doing our own will with a little bit of Jesus sprinkled on top. As it relates to prayer, here's the amazing promise of what happens when we orient our lives toward the will of God. Um, John, that same follower of Jesus, he wrote this. He said, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. You want confidence to approach God? Here it is, John says. That if we ask, what? If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Like God... God hears you. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. That's an amazing promise. Whatever you ask according to his will, you've got it, Jesus says. Now then, that's an awesome promise, but if you're anything like me, you're probably thinking, okay, cool, but like, I don't know what God's will is, so how in the world can I tap into that? I don't even know what to pray for, right? A lot of the time I come to prayer, it's like, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to be praying for. How do I pray for God's will? which is why one of my other favorite promises in the New Testament about prayer is in Romans chapter eight, and it's the reality that when you pray, you never pray alone. You have never, not once in your life, you have never prayed by yourself. When you come to God, you are always coming alongside that divine helper who lives inside of you. When you follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you, and the Bible says that he helps you pray 
the will of God even when you don't know what to pray for yourself because the Holy Spirit knows God's heart and he knows your heart. Romans chapter eight, Paul says it like this. He says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. In other words, God's Holy Spirit helps us to honestly pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're asking Jesus right now to teach us to pray. So this line, when he says, you gotta pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, how does that influence how we pray, how we fight for the heart of our king? Um, Two things. I think that this leads us to two distinct postures in prayer that Jesus is calling us to take. And the first one is this. We pray with total surrender. We pray with total surrender. Um, There's a prayer that somebody shared with me recently that I've come to love. It's been helpful for me. Maybe it'll be helpful for you also. The author prays this. He says, Lord, I don't know what to ask from you. Only you know what I need. You love me better than I know how to love myself. So Father, give to me, your child, what I don't know how to ask for. I dare not ask for crosses or consolations. I stand before you, I open my heart to you. See my needs that I know nothing about, then meet those needs according to your mercy. Wound me or heal me, bring me down or raise me up. I adore all your purposes without knowing them. I'm silent. I offer myself to you. I no longer have any desire but to do your will. Teach me to pray. Pray your own prayer in me. And I love that prayer because that's a prayer of total surrender to God's will. And it takes a lot of humility. takes a lot of courage to pray that prayer. And it's helpful for me because a lot of the time, if I'm not careful, I can easily slip into praying for my name to be honored and my kingdom to become and my will to be done. But it takes a lot of trust to surrender that and to say, no, your will be done. Whatever you want, God. And maybe that's the question for you right now. Like maybe you're thinking, no, I, I can't honestly pray that prayer because like if I, if I really surrendered, if I really let go of what I want, if I really left it in God's hands, how can I actually know that he has good intentions for me? Like how can I trust that his desires for me are better than my desires for me? How can I trust his will if that's what I'm supposed to be praying for? It's a good question, right? If you come to the Proctor house, you'll see that those three Proctor boys, they have no idea why having a can of Coke and a bowl of ice cream and a package of Sour Patch Kids right before bed is not a good plan. They just have to trust that ultimately my will for them in the long run is better than their will for themselves. And hopefully they have a track record of Rebecca and I being generous and faithful to them and protecting them that they can base that trust on even when they don't understand. And you have that with your father in heaven too. Because God's not just commanding you to surrender. God surrendered for you first. You remember this, when when Jesus came, Thursday evening, last night of his life, he knows he's going to the cross. And Jesus goes into the garden of Gethsemane and he knows that his next few hours he's gonna suffer. And his will, Jesus' will, was for another way. He didn't wanna go to the cross. And so he prayed for what he wanted. He said, Father, please, if there's another way, take this cup from me. He got down on his knees and he sweat great drops of blood. And then he said, and yet, not my will, but yours be done. And so when the answer came from the Father and the answer was no, 
Jesus surrendered completely and he followed the heart of the Father all the way to Golgotha where he suffered and died for you and me to prove that once and for all, God is for you, God is not against you, God has good intentions for you and his will is always the best thing that could happen to you in any given circumstance. You can trust him enough to surrender to him even when you don't understand because he surrendered for you first. And let me tell you, man, when you do that, if you actually live like that, surrendering to God's leading, even when you don't understand, it'll be a wild ride. Man, he's gonna take you places you can't even imagine. Um, I'm a nerd, um, but I, I like reading about like stories of old countries and that kind of stuff. You know? and, and the ancient Celtic Christians, they had a name for the Holy Spirit. In their language, they called him Argeod Gloss which means wild goose. That was their nickname for the Holy Spirit because when you pray and you live a life of total surrender and you say, God, hey, wherever you lead, I'm gonna do your will, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna follow, that'll be a wild goose chase. <laughs> and those same ancient Christians, some of them became known as white martyrs. That was a term I was unfamiliar with until I was reading it in a book a few weeks ago. And, 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 and the story is that throughout history, there have been these things called red martyrs that we've all heard the story of, these red martyrs who gave their lives in blood for their faith. But the story of how Christianity came to Ireland was unique in history because there was absolutely no bloodshed, like nobody died. It was the first country in history that Christianity took over and nobody got killed along the way. And if you don't know the story of how St. Patrick took the gospel to Ireland. It's incredible. St. Patrick was not Irish. He got kidnapped, sold into slavery in Ireland. He managed to escape and go back home and find freedom, but then God called him to go back to those same people who'd kidnapped him and enslaved him and share the gospel with them. And so St. Patrick goes back to Ireland into this country that's violent, full of pagan idol worship. People regularly are sacrificing their children to the gods. And St. Patrick steps on the scene and he says, no, 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 no. There's a God in heaven who has already sacrificed his son and it is the only sacrifice that is necessary. And the good news changed the entire country through him. And so Ireland was the first country in history where Christianity was fully accepted and nobody died along the way. And so these early Christians, these Irish Christians are like, well, we don't want to get like left out of the martyrdom party. Like we want the opportunity to lay down our lives for Jesus too. We don't want to miss out. And so even though they didn't have any red martyrs, they invented two other kinds of martyrdom. And the first one were what's called the green martyrs, where some of these early Irish Christians would find the furthest away places on their maps, like the furthest edge of the known world, these little green spots in the middle of the big blue oceans, little islands like this one called Skellig Michael. Maybe you've seen a picture of this island before. It's off the Irish coast, like some of the recent Star Wars stuff was filmed there. I think it's like where Luke Skywalker lives. But for hundreds of years, a few dozen Irish Christians would go and spend their entire lives living on these rocks, devoting themselves to prayer on the edge of the known world, doing battle with Satan, and surrendering their lives for the spiritual protection of their people. These are the green martyrs. And then there were these things called the white martyrs, and they got their name because they were these people who would just get in a boat, and they would set sail off into the great white horizon, and they would just ask God to lead them, and then they'd let the wind and the waves take them wherever it wanted, and eventually, wherever the current took them, and they landed, and then they would get out, and they'd love on that community, and they'd share the good news with them, and Christianity spread all over the world. They lived these lives of total surrender. So when you pray, 
for the kingdom of God to come and the will of God to be done, are you truly ready to surrender? Will you do what he asks you to do and go where he tells you to go and say what he tells you to say? Will you follow the heart of your king wherever he leads? Jesus says pray with total surrender. Here's the second posture, though. Jesus also commands us here to pray with shameless expectancy. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Shameless expectancy. Um, Walter Wink is an author. He says it like this. He says, the fawning etiquette of unctuous prayer is utterly foreign to the Bible. Biblical prayer, he says, is impertinent, persistent, shameless, indecorous. It is more like haggling in an oriental bazaar than the polite monologues of the churches. Shameless expectancy. Um, the ancient Jewish rabbis would tell this story of shameless expectancy. Um, it was in the century before Jesus was born. And in the generation before Jesus in Israel, there was a drought. Everything was desperately dry. And, you know, in an agricultural society, a drought can mean, like, disaster for an entire civilization. And so it's at this point kind of between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The prophets had died. The miracles had stopped. God had not audibly spoken in almost 400 years. And yet, even though they could not hear God, there was one man in Israel who had the audacity to believe that God could still hear him, and his name was Honi. And the Jewish rabbis would tell the stories of Honi, and Honi was this man of great faith. And the people came to him desperate for rain. In the middle of the drought, their hope was almost gone, and Honi did something incredible. He took his staff, and he drew a circle in the dirt. And then he had the audacity to step inside that circle and to pray out loud for everybody to hear. And these are the words he prayed. He said, Lord of the universe, I swear before your great name that I will not move from this circle until you have shown mercy on your children. Shameless expectancy. Honey's saying, God, I'm not going anywhere till you send the rain as long as it takes, without a hint of doubt in his voice, with holy confidence that would send a shiver down your spine. And as his prayer went up, sure enough, the rain came down. And those drops from the sky, they didn't just you know, fill the dirt with water. They filled the hearts of God's people with faith. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yes, total surrender to the will of God, but also shameless expectancy. God wants you to intercede. He wants you to ask. He wants you to fight for the heart of your king. And so sometimes like, you just need to ask God for what you want with shameless expectancy as long as it takes. The brother of Jesus, James, in James chapter four, he says, you do not have. Why don't you have, he says? Because you do not ask. That's humbling. Now, I know the question in your mind right now. Like, okay, but what if I ask and God says no? Or what if I ask and God says not yet? I get that. Those are legitimate questions, and that is God's divine right. It's his prerogative as king of the universe. But a far bigger problem than unanswered prayer is the problem of unasked prayer. Man, I don't want to get to heaven someday and have God look at me and say, Luke, look at what I could have done in your life if you just would have asked me. In the very next chapter, in Matthew chapter seven, Jesus commands us to pray with shameless expectancy. He says, ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. Man, do you actually believe that? 
Because as we look throughout scripture, there's a guy named Ian Bounds who says it like this. He says, prayer in its highest form and grandest success assumes the attitude of a wrestler with God. And as you look through the Bible, we see people praying with shameless expectancy. We see Abraham negotiating with God for the fate of the people of the city of Sodom. And man, if you want to learn how to haggle and buy a used car, watch Abraham pray. Because he makes an offer, God counteroffers, and then he counteroffers God, and then God makes an offer, and God answers his prayer. And you read through the Bible and you see Joshua commanding the sun to stand still in the sky, and God answers his prayer. You read through the Bible, you see Jacob wrestling with God, and Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. And God answers his prayer. You read through your Bible, and you hear Jesus tell the story of a shameless widow who day after day after day would go bang on the door of the unjust judge, day after day after day, until he finally gave in and gave her the justice that she sought. We read through the Bible, and we see Jesus telling his followers, ask that mountain to throw itself into the heart of the sea, and if you have faith, it will happen. And, you know, if you're anything like, like, sometimes we pray these safe, generic little prayers, right, to kind of give God an out in case he doesn't answer the way that we want him to. And, and, and I'm not saying those are bad, but we pray these things like, God, just be with me. God, just bless me, you know. And, and listen, God, God knows our hearts in that. The Holy Spirit's helping us pray for the will of God. And any prayer is better than no prayer, right? But can you imagine if we talked like that? Like, imagine Rebecca came up to me and said, hey, Luke, what do you want for your birthday? I said, oh, honey, just bless me. <laughs> hey, Luke, what do, you, what do you want for lunch? Oh, honey, just be with me. <laughs> hey, Luke, what time are we supposed to pick up the kids again? Oh, your will be done, honey. <laughs> like, can you imagine if we actually talked like that? Like, sometimes God just wants us to ask for what we want, like to beg him to fight for the heart of our king. Yes, we come to him and we surrender to his will, but even Jesus in the garden asked for what he wanted to draw that circle with shameless expectancy and step inside and say, God, as long as it takes, I'm not going anywhere till you answer. I read the story recently of uh, two Native American ladies on the Indian Reservation, and their names were Maggie and Lois. Lois was older, and Maggie was a young lady who would come over every week to babysit Lois's kids. And life on the reservation was just terrible. Alcoholism ran rampant. It was ruining people's lives. But by God's grace, both Maggie and Lois had managed to sober up. And so still, once a week, every single week, Maggie would go watch Lois's kids while Lois went out. But after a few months of that, Maggie started to wonder, like, what in the world is Lois doing every Tuesday night? There's not much to do in this little town. And so one evening, Maggie took the kids, and she snuck out, and she followed Lois when Lois left. And she followed Lois all the way to a lodge. And Maggie walked up to the edge of the lodge, and she peeked inside the window. And there she saw Lois sitting inside in a big circle of chairs all by herself. All the other chairs were empty. And later on, when Lois came home, Maggie asked her, Lois, what, what have you been doing every Tuesday night? And Lois said, oh, I'm sorry, I thought I, thought I told you. Um, I've been going to AA meetings, Alcoholics Anonymous. I've been holding these meetings. Maggie said, what in the world do you mean you're holding meetings? I went over there, and I looked through the window tonight, and I saw you sitting in that circle of chairs all by yourself. And Lois got real quiet. She said, oh, I wasn't alone. And one day our people will come. And Lois never gave up. True story, week after week after week, she'd go set up those chairs and she'd sit there for two hours by herself in faith. 
And after three years, there was only a handful of people in the room. But after 10 years, the room was filled with people who gradually began to discover their freedom. And the entire community was transformed because of the faith of one woman who had the courage to just sit in the circle, to draw that circle as long as it takes, shameless expectancy. This is an incredibly long quote, okay? (laughs) But bear with me because this is the point of the whole sermon. Uh, Walter Wink says this. He says, intercessory prayer is spiritual defiance of what is in the way of what God has promised. Intercession visualizes an alternative future to the one apparently fated by the momentum of current forces. Prayer infuses the air of a time yet to be into the suffocating atmosphere of the present. History belongs to the intercessors who believe the future into being. Even a small number of people firmly committed to the new inevitability on which they have fixed their imaginations can decisively affect the shape the future takes. These shapers of the future, these are the intercessors who call out of the future the longed-for new present. In the New Testament, the name and texture and aura of that future is God's domination-free order, the reign of God. No doubt our intercessions sometimes change us as we open ourselves to new possibilities we had not guessed. No doubt our prayers to God reflect back upon us as a divine command to become the answer to our own prayer. But if we are to take the biblical understanding seriously, intercession is more than that. It changes the world, and it changes what is possible It creates an island of relative freedom in a world gripped by unholy necessity. A new force appears that hitherto was only potential. The entire configuration changes as the result of the change of a single part. A space opens up in the praying person, permitting God to act without violating human freedom. All of Jesus' teachings on prayer feature imperatives, ask, seek, knock, In prayer, we are ordering God to bring the kingdom near. It will not do to implore. We have been commanded to command. We are required by God to haggle with God for the sake of the sick and the obsessed and the weak and to conform our lives to our intercessions. This is a God who invents history in interaction with those who hunger and thirst to see right prevail. How different this is from the static God of Greek philosophy that all these years has lulled so many into adoration without intercession. When we pray, we are not just sending a letter to a celestial White House where it's sorted among piles of others. We are engaged, rather, in an act of co-creation in which one little sector of the universe rises up and becomes translucent, incandescent, and a vibratory center of power that radiates the power of the universe. History belongs to the intercessors who believe the future into being. What if we were those people? History belongs to the intercessors, and you want to know how I know that's true? What's Jesus doing Right now, like right now, what's he doing? He's praying. Jesus is asking the Father. He is interceding for you and for me right now. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says he always lives to intercede for them. You want to know why that's amazing? Jesus came and he taught for three years, just three years. I've been teaching here for twice that long. He's been teaching for three years. 
but he's been praying for you for 2,000 years. Hey, Jesus, now that you're exalted as king of kings and lord of lords reigning over the entire cosmos, seems like a pretty important job. So, hey, Jesus, what's your job description? Hey, Jesus, how do you spend your days? Hey, Jesus, how do you properly allot your time to govern the universe that you created and care for the people that you love? And if you ask Jesus that question, he would say, you wanna know how I spend my time? I spend my time praying for you. History does not belong to the talented or the famous or the rich or the rulers or the armies or the governors or the influencers or the governments or the Fortune 500 companies or the global media. They are all impressive for a time, but we are gathered here today in hope and in faith that God's future is coming to bear and that when the kingdom finally comes and the will of God is finally done on earth as it is in heaven, then it will be revealed that all along history has belonged to the intercessors. And so I just want you to imagine for a moment. Imagine Jesus walked in those doors back there and he walked right up to you and he looked you in the eyes and he asked you the same question that he asked that guy in Jericho. He said, what do you want me to do for you? He looked at you, he said, what do you want me to do for you? What would you say? We've been ending the sermons um, in each of these weeks with a practical thing for you to take home and implement in your own prayer life. And we've got blogs coming out written by our staff for each of those practices and some videos that we're putting on social media. A lot of the time we've, in those videos, we're talking about the kingdom of God coming in the Dominican Republic with this project we've announced. And so for the last two weeks, we talked about praying scripture in the first week. We talked about practicing the presence of God this last week. And today, here's the practice that I want you to take home. I want you to go home this afternoon and I want you to draw a circle, okay? Just circle. Now circle a picture of somebody in your life or circle a, a promise that you really love in Scripture. Circle a problem that you don't know how to fix. Circle a date on the calendar. Circle a country on the map. Maybe walk a circle around your neighborhood. It's supposed to be a little warmer this week, I think. I'll often go walk a circle around the church just praying, hey, God, within this circle, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven right here. And we've given you these stickers to remind you, hey, as a church, we're circling Garabo right now. We want the kingdom of God to come in Garabo as it is in heaven. We are shamelessly asking God, God, we want to see 10 churches in the next five years in Garabo. We're circling this. So whatever it is, go home this week, walk a circle, take a prayer walk or, or, or draw a circle around whatever you want to see God do. And then with total surrender and shameless expectancy, fight for the heart of your king because history belongs to the intercessors. Prayer team's gonna be gathered around the edges of the room throughout the remainder of the service with their glowing lanyards on. They're there for you. Man, if you've got something that you want to see God do in your life, but honestly, you just don't know how to pray for it, that's all right, we're here for you. We'd love for you to come and talk throughout the remainder of the service or afterwards. Let's go to our Father in prayer right now and then we'll receive communion together. Father, we love you and we are so thankful that you've allowed us to come to you in prayer. And so God, we want your heart. We wanna follow after your heart. We wanna love what you love. We wanna hate what you hate. We wanna be broken by the things that break you. We wanna spend our time the way that you spend your time. We wanna love who you love and do what you would have us do. And so help us in that, God. We will surrender to you wherever you lead us. Give us the courage to say yes. But also, God, we're gonna come shamelessly this week, asking, seeking, knocking, because you've allowed us to, and we wanna see your kingdom come right here. We wanna see your will be done in our families, in our neighborhoods, at work, in the school, 
in our marriages, with our kids, in our friendships, on earth as it is in heaven. It's by the power of your name that all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.